My name is Phil Ibera. I work in the transportation industry. I am a supply chain specialist, and what that means is I am responsible for the end-to-end movement of customers' product, moving their product from the United States into China. There's a lot of things that can happen with a shipment coming into our facility or leaving our facility. There was a particular shipment. It was a high-end earth-moving equipment customer. Three truckloads of freight got missed. There is a backup for that. Uh, It's our inventory, export inventory report that the warehouse sends to our team. I was uh, um, starting the process of doing this report, and I was advised not to because there is other tasks to do that's more important. When the time comes, if anything's left behind, I was advised that you know we'll deal with it then. So the inventory report was not over, was not being monitored uh, for a long period of time, uh, and basically what happened was this shipment this shipment was left for nearly over two months, and it was caught by a email that was sent from our customer to my manager, and the, the email was not followed up on her part. A second request came through, and it was not followed up on her part. A third request came through with her boss on copy, the director of our d- department in our division, and that's when I got the email on a weekend um, it was forwarded to me by my manager asking me to take a look at the shipment. I'm sure it's been shipped already. Take a look at it and see what's going on. I replied back to her indicating that the shipment is still in our warehouse. And basically that's when I started feeling the deceitfulness started to come in. And I started uh, hearing the cover-ups of what they needed to do to cover this up so our customer would know that we messed up on. I was in the process of shipping that on ocean and loading it in a container uh, when they had to go back to the customer and explain to them what happened. When we have this meeting and a follow-up, they're going to, I'm going to have to be on the conference call with our customer and they wanted me to indicate that I missed the email. And I felt very uncomfortable about it. I didn't say anything. I have been in this industry for a long time, and I have never been approached to do a bold-faced lie. It was just a roller coaster for me emotionally, um, physically, mentally. I was not sleeping. I was uh, worrying about everything from my job to the kids getting older to me getting older. I called my wife, and she said, I have your back. Um, I understand that this has been very, very emotionally crazy, um, physically crazy at work. It's going to be okay no matter what happens. And I felt really comfortable and at peace that what I was doing was right. Although there was still a part of me that said, you know what, it's just one little bitty lie. You know, just in my eyes, I had to think about it. It's just one little bitty lie. All I have to do is do this and everybody will be happy Everybody will be saved. I mean, I'll be the bad guy for the customer, but, you know, I can take it. But then I thought about it, and I realized that if they're going to, if, if this can happen once, it's going to happen again. And I really just shrug, shrugged my, my head and my shoulders, and I'm like, I'm not doing this. Once I realized that, um, you know, they didn't like my answer and what I was going to do, 
uh, the possibility and knowing that, you know, I could be let go or fired because of this was entering into my head. So I was a bit nervous going home. Um, I, you know, talked it over with my my wife, and I indicated to her that, you know, it's it's going to happen. I, you know, I could be written up, but I think if I don't sign that piece of paper, they're going to let me go, and I'm not signing that piece of paper. The next day, I went into work. Um, the director of the company was there. Uh, we went into a meeting with my manager. She told me, um, we're going to have to let you go, and I'm like, that's fine, you got to do what you have to do. And I was approached by security and they walked me out the door. I just felt this big lump off of my chest. My mind was completely free. I felt at peace. I think the main thing that I learned was always trust God. I think that in my, in my career and in my working part of my life, it was hard it's hard for me to trust God in situations and I really put my faith in God I really um, prayed a, a lot about my job prior to this just saying those little words God use me today how you want me to be used I need to do everything in your name this job is for you you've given me this job and that helped me get through a lot and I really believe that if I would have told that lie that God wasn't going to be in that situation. I, uh, I appreciate um, Phil's willingness to tell his story uh, and share it with all of us. It reminds me of this, uh, this saying, you probably heard it before, that honesty is the best policy, right? And while I think that's uh, the case, honesty is not always easy. You know, sometimes it, it, it's complicated. It sometimes uh, it, it leads to some hard things, and uh, and yet God calls us to be people of integrity. And so I want to I want to explore that with you this morning a little. So um, why don't you go ahead and open your Bible if you have it? Uh, if not, you should find a Bible to use down in one of the chair racks around you to Exodus chapter 20. And I do want to say good morning to those who think they're in the 9:45 service. Uh, welcome, <laughs> and. Maybe you'll enjoy this enough to come back and join us at 8.30. Uh, as most of you know, we're in a series called It Starts With Ten, and we're looking at the Ten Commandments. Uh, and one of the things I keep uh, repeating and reminding you of week after week is how God gave these commandments to the Israelites after they left Egypt. In other words, the people uh, were rescued by the grace and power of God, not by keeping rules and, and commands and directives. Uh, these were given to the Israelites Um, because after centuries of slavery, freedom was a new experience for them. And and the people were wondering, how were they going to survive as a nation? How were they going to live in safe, sustainable community? And so God gives these directives to help them see and understand how healthy human life and and, and community are supposed to work, how it's meant to be. And uh, as we've learned along the way, the commandments are really all about relationships, uh, the first four, uh, and if you've missed any of the, uh, and the commandments that we've done on, on Sunday mornings, you need to go and listen online. But the first four had to do with the people's relationship to God, their creator, their rescuer. And then the rest were about their relationships to each other as family, as friends, as neighbors, as human beings, you know, uh, living together. And so God says in commandment number nine, in verse 16 of ch- chapter 20, 
he says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Out of slavery, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, let's start off by just laying our cards on the table. Okay, we're all familiar with the concept of lying, right? Because we've all done it. Children uh, have lied to parents. Parents have lied to kids. Brothers have lied to sisters. Sisters have lied to brothers. Boyfriends have lied to girlfriends. Girlfriends to boyfriends. Spouses have been less than honest with each other at times. Students have lied to teachers. Professors have been less than honest with with students. Employees have uh, lied to their bosses. Bosses have lied to their employees. And we've all, you know, we've all said things like, yes, Aunt Eva, I love your hot tuna Limburger cheese casserole. It is succulent. Please may I have some more. And can I have the recipe? I love it for breakfast when it's cold and mm, it's just so good, right? You guys get the point. We, we've all done it. We've all lied to family, friends, um, colleagues, strangers. We've lied to each other. Dr. Dan Airely, I mentioned him last week. He's a professor of psychology and behavioral economics at Duke, at Duke University. He's just written a book just recently called The, the Honest Truth About Dishonesty. And uh, he relates in the book uh, about a, a, a long study that's been done of over 30,000 people. And uh, one of the things he says in the book is that very, the study has found that very few people lie a lot, but almost everyone lies a little. This past August, researchers out of Notre Dame University presented a study to the uh, American Psychological Association and at their national convention, and the, the study was entitled The Science of Honesty. And uh, the study reported that on average, Americans lie 11, uh, 11 times per week, which comes out to about 1.5 times a day. And yet, by and large, we see ourselves as honest. Uh, According to the study, people behave dishonestly enough to profit in some way, shape, or form, but honestly enough to delude themselves of their own integrity. The study also found that although although we are more than willing to lie, Americans expect relational partners and acquaintances to be honest and get upset when they discover they've been lied to. In other words, we're okay with us telling some lies, but don't you lie to me. Okay. Uh, The study concluded uh, that lying is bad for your health. It's stressful trying to keep hold of these lies and keep, keep them covered up. And so the, the study reports that when people tell fewer lies, they experience fewer mental health issues such as feeling tense, depression, having headaches, or sore throats. So the suggestion is basically this. Eat your fruits and vegetables, exercise a lot, and lie as, as little as possible. Now, <clears throat> as interesting and informative as studies and statistics and books are, we don't need them to convince us that as human beings we, we have a proclivity to being dishonest. I mean, we know we do. And it's a problem. And it's a problem especially for those of us in this room, at least it should be, because out of the top ten things that God says we should not do, lying is one of them. In fact, elsewhere in Scripture, we're told how God feels about it. Uh, In the book of Proverbs, we're told that the Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in people who are trustworthy. Through the prophet Zechariah, God said to his people, he said, speak the truth to each other. Do not plot evil against each other and do not love to swear falsely. God says, I hate all this. In the New Testament, the apostle Paul writes the early church. He says to Christians, speak the truth in love to one another. Elsewhere, he says, do not lie to each other. So biblically speaking, there, there's no ambiguity. You know, uh, throughout scripture, God makes it very clear that lying is wrong and he detests it. And so that's why here in Exodus 20, as God gives his people directives for, for healthy living, he says to them, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And for me, this statement raises a few questions. Um, 
for, for one, what exactly does God have in mind here? Uh, and the key to figuring that out rests in understanding the, you know, the false testimony against your neighbor statement. Uh, the Hebrew phrase that we translate false testimony literally means, well, literally means to say what's not true, to speak an untruth. And your neighbor refers to the people you come in contact with on a daily basis, family, friends, acquaintances. Um, here's my Reiki summary. Do not lie. Do not intentionally deceive the people in your life to whom you are expected and morally obligated to speak the truth. And let me, let me emphasize that God here is addressing the common, the practical, everyday relationships and situations of life. He is not speaking to, to the unique circumstances of life. He's not talking about um, the context of war where there's no moral obligation to tell your enemies the truth. He's not talking about the context of crime and violence, where, we're, where there's no obligation to tell the truth to, to your assailant, your, your mugger, your rapist. God isn't even talking about the context of fun and recreation. I mean, if you and I are playing a game together, like, let's say, like Battleship, and you say, hey, where's your aircraft carrier on the board? Do you think I'm going to tell you the truth? No way. I'm not going to tell you the truth. I might try to deceive you. I'm not going to tell you the truth. Am I morally obligated to do that? No, it's just a game. Uh, if you're planning your spouse's um, uh, 40th birthday party and uh, intentionally conceal the truth and kind of misdirect them to keep it a surprise, is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. God isn't talking here in Exodus 20 about those kind of unique circumstances in which there's no expectation or moral obligation. Rather, God is addressing um, common, everyday life situations where we are expected and we are morally obligated to tell the truth to the people around us. And I think, you know, I think we're, we're, we're all intelligent and mature enough to know the difference. Interesting side note on all this. Well-known and outspoken atheist Sam Harris has just published a book, literally in the last couple of weeks. The book is entitled Lying, and I, ju- I just read it. And it's actually, it's actually pretty good. Um, Harris says this about lying. He says, to lie is to intentionally mislead others when they expect honest communication. He says, lying is the royal, the royal road to chaos, and it's wrong. And I agree with him. I don't agree with Harris on a lot of things, but I agree with him on this. He's correct. But here's my question. On what basis... Does Sam Harris make such a, such a moral pronouncement? Think about it. As an atheist, Harris contends that life and existence as we know it has no intrinsic meaning or value. We're all just the, the accidental result of biological evolution. We're just a collection of 100 trillion cells kind of blobbed together, experiencing electrochemical reaction of nerves, firing synapses in our brain, producing emotions and thoughts. That's it. Nothing else. There's no God, there's no divine lawgiver, there's no absolute transcendent objective truth. Everything is just a a random accident. If that's the case, then Sam Harris's idea, his ideas of goodness and, and, and justice and morality are completely subjective, formulated by his brain, which is just as much a chance collision of cells producing random chemical reactions as anybody else's, as yours or mine. So what makes his more more correct than somebody else's? Pun what moral authority does Sam Harris argue his point? Well, he doesn't, he doesn't offer one. He just offers his opinion. And I guess that's why another best-selling author named G.M. Jackson wrote this book in response. I can't believe Sam Harris wrote a book about lying. <laughs> just came out. I read that one too. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek. Um, but uh, Jackson makes uh, several good points. Uh, one in, in particular that, that hit me, Jackson notes 
that how Harris states that it's important for us as human beings to be honest with ourselves. He makes that point in one of his chapters. Here's Jackson's response to that. He says, you know, Sam explains the benefits of being honest with yourself. At first, it's hard to disagree, especially when you can improve yourself, i.e. break bad habits by taking a good, hard, honest look at yourself. However, if you're an atheist like Sam, the truth about yourself is as follows. Someday you will die and be uh, food for worms. You're nothing special. You're just a clump of molecules moving through space-time. Nothing you you do really matters because eventually, given enough time, you, your family, your friends, all of life will become extinct. If you're completely honest with yourself, you may just end up committing suicide. Perhaps this is why natural selection favors liars. Uh, Good point. But let me just say this. In the long run, I agree with Sam Harris. I agree with him when he says lying is wrong. But I find it absolutely amazing how atheists like him carry and express a very high level of moral indignation. I mean, given the premises of their own worldview, atheists have no basis for that indignation. If everything is just uh, just a bunch of atoms randomly banging around, why should it matter which way the atoms bang? Who's to say what is right and wrong? Ironically, the majority of atheists surreptitiously borrow and affirm many of the moral standards of Christianity while at the same time assailing the faith. It's fascinating. Listen, as Christians, we believe lying is wrong because the God who created us, the God who knows what is right and and good and best for us says that it's wrong. And And I think deep down inside, we all know that's true. We just know it. And so what are, the, what are some of the ways that we lie? Let, let, me, let me give you a list, uh, offer a list at least. It's not necessarily exclusive. It's just kind of my list. But the first, as I see, the first way we lie is through calculated lying. In other words, knowing what is true, but being willfully, intentionally dishonest with somebody, a family member, a friend, a coworker, a fellow student, uh, whoever. When we know the answer is yes, we say no. When we know the answer is no, we say yes. We know the answer is black, we say white, and vice versa. The premeditated goal is to deceive, is to distort what is reality. Then there's careless lying. And this is when we just spontaneously, off the cuff, without much thought, for whatever reason, say something that isn't true. In some instances, it happens when we, when we gossip and we share information about someone without really knowing the facts. And so we participate in spreading a rumor which may have little, if any, foundation in truth. There's casual lying. And this is all about exaggeration and embellishment and kind of stretching the truth, as we like to say, which sounds kind of nice. There's creative half-truths, not giving the whole story, withholding information, just sharing some details or spinning the facts by using language to muddy the waters. You know, we say something in such a way that it could be interpreted several different ways. Politicians are really good at that. There's selective memory, conveniently recalling only what we want to recall to avoid self-incrimination. There's strategic silence. We know it's true, but we choose not to say anything. Our silence keeps the truth from being exposed. And then the final way, at least in this list, uh, to lie to each other is, is through sympathetic deception. Again, this is when, in an effort to spare her feelings, we willfully lie to Aunt Eva and tell her that her hot tuna Uh, Limburger cheese casserole is really good when we don't like it at all. But we're just uncomfortable telling her, right? 
And um, I'm not suggesting we just callously say any of this stinks. You should be arrested for making it. What are you trying to poison me or something here? Uh, I'm not suggesting we do that. I mean, I think there are polite, sensitive, honest ways of handling those kind of situations. But, you know, maybe just maybe in fairness to Aunt Eva and for the sake of humanity, somebody needs to lovingly tell her that stuff isn't—it just isn't very good, right? And we face some of those situations in our lives. So those are just some of the ways, I think, that common ways that we deceive uh, one another. Uh, um, But here's the next question. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? Why do we lie? Look, I'm not a licensed psychotherapist or anything like that. I don't have a PhD in human social behavior. I'm just an average guy. But I'm quite convinced that average people like me can grasp the reasons we tend toward deception. As flawed, imperfect human beings, uh, for one, we lie to impress. Out of a sense of insecurity at some level, we feel a need to make make ourselves look good, better than we really are. Classic example of this, um, North Korea's late president, Kim Jong-il, he claimed that on his first time golfing ever, on an 18-hole course ever, he hit 11 holes in one. Seriously, Google it. He claimed it. I mean, seriously? But um, it just proves golf makes liars out of all of us, you know what I mean? (laughs) But uh, his bodyguards apparently affirmed it, but again, what are they going to say, you know? So... We, we all lie to impress, even dictators, national leaders, celebrities feel the need to lie to, to, to make themselves look better. Uh, we lie to get revenge and to discredit those that we feel have somehow mistreated us and hurt us, whether that's true or not. Maybe it's someone we just don't like very much, so we, we kind of get even and we discredit them, we distort the truth. We lie to make a profit. You know, in our materialistic culture, that's a huge temptation. And so, as you know, through we can see that through uh, Phil's story. And so, um, we lie to acquire things to get what we want or what we feel we need. We lie uh, for the sake of convenience and personal comfort to get our own way. We lie because we're afraid, afraid we're not going to get our own way or get what we feel we need or are being exposed for who we really are. We, feel the, we fear the consequences of, of our actions. We fear embarrassment. We fear humiliation. And so we lie to protect, to protect ourselves primarily. And I think that's, that really lies behind um, most of it. You know, that's, that's kind of the foundation of it. We lie to protect ourselves. Dorothy, uh, Dr. Dorothy Rowe is an Australian psychologist who wrote a book entitled Why We Lie. She puts it this way. We lie because we're frightened. We're frightened of being humiliated, being um, treated like an object, being rejected, losing control of things. And most of all, we're frightened of uncertainty. Often we get our lies in before any of these things can happen. We lie to maintain our vanity. Lying is much easier than searching for the truth and accepting it, no matter how inconvenient it is. We lie to others, and even worse, we lie to ourselves. In both private and public life, we damage ourselves with our lies and damage other people. Look, what it comes down to is that we all do it. We all lie in a number of different ways for a number of different reasons. By, by, our, by our very nature, 
we are generally more concerned about our own advancement, our own image, our own protection, our own way, our own preservation, that we are, that we are uh, we're more about those things than about the primacy of reality and, and truth. In essence, you realize, in essence, a lie is a completely selfish act. And that's ultimately why we do it. Why it comes easy, because we are sinfully selfish creatures. Here's another question. Why does lying bother God so much? Well, for one, lying offends God's nature. You know, often when we think about the attributes of God, the things that come immediately to mind are love, holiness, justice, grace. You know, we, we think of God in terms of being all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, and those things are true and those things are important. But another uh, important attribute of God is the attribute of truth. And it's not just that God that God reveals truth or that God embraces truth or is the advocate of truth, but that God in his very nature is truth. In him, there is no deception. There is no immorality. There is no duplicity. There is no hypocrisy. Uh, In the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, we're told the Lord is the one true God. The psalmist refers to him as the God of all truth. In the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews says it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible. It It can't happen. And Jesus, the the very Son of God, described himself as what? Not only deity in the flesh, but truth in the flesh. Truth. And once that reality, the reality of God's nature begins to sink in, then it's, it's not so hard for us to see why lying violates and offends uh, God so much. I have a friend who's an excellent musician, plays violin, majored in voice in, in college, and when he sings, it is silky smooth. Uh, and he's somewhat of a perfectionist. He has a uh, remarkable uh, sense of pitch, kind of perfect pitch, really. And he can read music, and, and really he can hear it in his, in his head. And so when he's performing or when he's leading a group of people, if anything or anyone is off pitch, oh, man, it frustrates him, frustrates him. I used to like to sing off key near him just to drive him crazy uh, because he can't, he can't stand to be in the presence of dissonance. Well, here's the deal. If you, can, if you can understand how sour notes irritate a gifted musician, then you can imagine how a perfectly truthful God must react when he hears lies spewed from the mouths of his people. It's offensive. It violates his very nature. Another reason God takes lying seriously is because uh, lying is a reflection of evil. Again, uh, deceit is not part of the nature of God, but it is part of the nature of the adversary. Jesus describes the devil as a liar from the beginning. Jesus said there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his natural language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. And when Jesus says, you know, from the beginning, uh, he was referring to how at the dawn of creation, humanity was duped into believing that rebellion against our own creator would give us life and make us gods. But nothing could have been further from the truth. Rebellion brought only judgment, separation, brokenness, and death. It was the greatest deception ever pulled off, the greatest hoax of history. With one lie, the enemy opened the floodgate of of sin and evil and the harsh and broken, imperfect world we live in is a direct result of it. And ever since that day, evil has been whispering lies into our hearts and into the minds of God's people because deception is what he's all about. Keeping us from truth is his diabolical goal. And so every false statement, every exaggeration, every half-truth, every distortion that comes out of our mouths is a reflection of that evil and a reminder to God of what could have been but isn't. Lying ruins our health. Again, 
as we noted before, studies show living with deception brings about inner conflict and stress because you're trying to hide everything and keep track of your lies, and it, and it weighs on you eventually. It weighs on you. Uh, one of my favorite new groups uh, is a folk rock band named the, uh, called the Avett Brothers. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They, ha- they have an album out called Emotionalism. And on that album, there's a song called The Weight of Lies. And the lyrics go like this. The weight of lies will bring you down and follow you to every town because nothing happens here that doesn't happen there. So when you run, make sure you run to something, not away from, because lies don't need an airplane to chase you anywhere. And they're right. There is a lot of weight in carrying a lie. And wherever you go, it follows you, and it undermines your mental and emotional health and stability. And then, of course, lying damages our relationships. Exodus 20 makes it clear God is concerned how we live, how we relate to each other. I mean, think about it. In commands 5, 6, 7, and 8, we're told what? We're told to honor our parents, defend love, marriage, and the family, protect and value human life, respect our neighbor and their right to private property. And so to a great extent, uh, it's this ninth commandment, not to lie, that safeguards those previous four. I mean, understand, these ten directives are not, not legalistic rules meant to kill our fun or cramp our lives. They are liberating absolutes, moral absolutes provided by a loving God, a loving creator to help us and to protect uh, us and to provide for us more uh, healthy human relationships, relationships in marriage and families and among friends and in churches and societies at large. I mean, it's no secret to anybody that the foundation to safe, healthy, productive relationships is what? Honesty. Truth. And with truth, when truth is replaced by deceit in any form, in any relationship, that relationship gets wounded. Love is undermined, truth is diminished, and a breakdown occurs. I like how the writer of Proverbs in the Old Testament describes it. He says, like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is the one who gives false testimony against a neighbor. Here's my Reiki translation. Lying leads only to pain and, and division and brokenness. And therefore, God calls us to be people who in love speak the truth to one another. And so with that in mind, here are a couple key spiritual truths I, I feel compelled to tell you about. The first truth is this. We're all moral failures. We are. You read the, these commandments. You tell me who here in this room has kept all of these directives perfectly. Who's done it? Who loves God and worships Him uh, as fully as they should every day? Who, who hasn't ever ignored Him or misused His name or tarnished His reputation? Who hasn't in some way dishonored their parents? Who hasn't murdered or hated another person or mistreated them uh, out of spite? Who hasn't been unfaithful to their spouse either in action or in attitude? Who has never taken what didn't belong to them or kept what wasn't theirs to keep? They took some, what's belonged to someone else so that someone had a, the right to, but you've kept it. Or took it from them. Who's ever stolen? Who's ever lied? The fact is we're all morally corrupt and we're rebellious. And no matter how good we appear in comparison to others, we all fall short of God's perfect uh, moral standard. And it seems to me that the first step in becoming an honest person is to be honest about that. It's also true that someday we're all going to stand before our Creator with all our shams, all our lies, all our distortions, all our cover-ups exposed. We can deny our sins for the moment, but a day is coming when the condition of our souls will be made evident before God. And on that day, anyone who has has not humbly and honestly confessed and repented um, will suffer and have to deal with the consequences. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, the wages of sin is death, separation from God, 
That's not my idea. Uh, that's just the reality. That's what Scripture says. But, the, but also we're told the greatest spiritual truth is this, that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, those who admit their sinfulness to God and moral failures and they seek forgiveness in Jesus will find it and experience grace. Mark Twain once said, when in doubt, tell the truth. It'll confound your enemies and astound your friends. And uh, while that may be the case, more importantly, being honest and speaking the truth will honor God and it will bring health to your life to your relationships. It'll bring health to the church and to the culture if we could just do it. And my hope and my prayer is that God will give us the strength and the courage to be people of integrity, people who speak the truth to each other in love. Let's pray. Our Father, when we, when we uh, review um, these directives, these commandments that you gave to your people, in order to show us and help us understand what good, healthy life and relationships and community, what's involved in what that, what's necessary for that. Um, as we look at these things, we recognize that we have often fallen short of them. And that we have, while we may acknowledge their importance, we have failed to keep them. We rebel against them. We, uh, we sin. We lie to each other at times. We, we take what doesn't belong to us or keep what doesn't belong to us. We, we, we fail. We, we are all moral failures. That is the reality. I pray as hard as that may be for us to, to admit, I don't think it's that hard to recognize. And so we come to you this morning and we ask that you would give us the courage to, to say what is true even before you, that we're broken, sinful people in need of forgiveness, in need of your grace and mercy. And so we offer ourselves to you even now in Jesus' name. Amen.